Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but we would love to meet you in person. All are welcome, and that includes you. So if you want the full experience, please join us Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service at the corner of Arthur Ashe Boulevard and Grove in the historic synagogue across from the art museum. Can't make it in person? No problem. We are also live streaming on YouTube. Contact our administrator at tikvatdirector at gmail.com for the link during the week or contact us on our website tikvatisrael.com. There, you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. Boys and girls, it's time to play Old Jews in the Old News! Yay! What is that, you ask? Well, that is ancient Israelites, old Jews, throughout history in the old news. But ancient Israelites throughout history doesn't rhyme, and you know how I like rhymes, so it's gotta be the way I said it. Okay, how do you play, you ask? Well, I'm gonna show you a verse in the Bible, and you have to identify the old Jew, ancient Israelite, that it's describing. Are you ready to play? I don't hear you. Are you ready to play? All right, great, let's have our first old Jew in the old news. Then, Adonai said to redacted, get going from your land and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. I'm not done yet. (laughs) You know, in Jeopardy, you have to wait till the end of the... I'm gonna start over. No, where was I? Then Adonai said to, Redacted. Get going from your land and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land I will show you. My heart's desire is to make you into a great nation, to bless you, to make your name great so that you may be a blessing. My desire is to bless those that bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And in you, through you, all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Who is that congregation? Abraham. Abraham, right? But we like to say, we don't like to say Abraham, we like to say Avraham, right? Not only because that's the Hebrew way to say it, but if you say Abraham, you're saying ham, right? That's, that's no good. Yes, yeah, Scott. He, in theological books, he is referred to as Abraham. If you read it, he's referred to as Abraham, even though At this point in history, this old Jew is called Abram. So you are technically correct, the best kind of correct. Okay, who is the ancient Israelite that this is talking about? Oh, that's right, Abraham. Okay, we can move on. Abraham was called to bless all the families of the earth. The beginning of the idea that the Jewish people are to be a light to the nations. You've heard this before, right? Yes? Light to the nations? Okay. Okay, here's a harder one. Maybe not hard enough, but we'll see. Now, they saw him from a distance. Before he was close to them, they plotted together against him in order to kill him. They said to one another, here comes that master of dreams. Come on now, let's kill him and throw him into one of those pits. 
So we can say an evil animal devoured him. Then let's see what becomes of his dreams. But Reuben heard and rescued him out of their hands, saying, we must not beat him to death in order to rescue him from their hand and return him to his father. Reuben said, don't shed blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him. So as soon as redacted came to his brothers, they stripped redacted of his tunic, the long sleeve tunic that he had on. Then they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty with no water in it. All right, who is, uh, who is this about? Joseph, Yosef, that's right. Remember, Joseph was rejected by some, some, say it with me, some of his brothers and ended up revealing himself to them and saving their lives from famine, as well as the surrounding nations near Egypt. Joseph was a light to the nations and the savior of his brothers and indeed of the whole known world at the time. He is the shadow of another Jew who was rejected by some, say it with me, some of his brothers and is revealing himself to them, revealed himself to them and is revealing himself to them, just like Joseph, the Jewish people, his brothers, thereby saving them and all nations from death. That's a little bit of the gospel, right, about Yeshua. Okay, last one. This one's the hardest. <clears throat> Here are some excerpts from this week's Haftarah portion. This is from Isaiah 60. It's not the whole thing, but there, there's some excerpts. Arise, shine. For your light has come. The glory of Adonai has risen on you. And behold, darkness covers the earth and deep darkness the peoples. But Adonai will arise upon you and his glory will appear over you. Nations will come to your light, kings to the brilliance of your rising. The wealth of nations will come to you. All those from Sheba, that's Ethiopia, will come. They will bring gold and frankincense and proclaim the praises of Adonai. Foreigners will build up your walls, and the kings will minister to you. For in my fury I struck you, but in my favor I will show you mercy. The glory of Lebanon will come to you, cypress, elm, and pine together, to beautify the place of my sanctuary. I will give to the place of my feet glory. The sons of those who afflicted you will come bowing to you, and all those who despise you will fall at the soles of your feet. They will call you the city of Adonai, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Instead of bronze, I will bring gold. Instead of iron, I will bring silver. Instead of wood, bronze. Instead of stones, iron. I will make shalom your overseer and righteousness your taskmasters. That is opposed to like, the, the overseer and the taskmaster in Egypt, right? In, in the impressive. Now, shalom, peace, is your overseer. Uh, no more will violence be heard in your land, devastation nor destruction within your borders. No more, no more will the sun be your light by day, nor the glow of the moon be your light, but Adonai, the Lord, will be your light, your everlasting light, and your God for your glory. 
Then your people will all be righteous. They will possess the land forever. The branch of his planning, the work of my hands, that I may be glorified. The smallest will become a thousand, and the least a mighty nation. I, Adonai, will hasten in its time. So, who is this talking about? It's complicated, but let's talk about it. But first, let me say, thank you all for playing, and we have some lovely parting gifts for you. Give yourselves a big round of applause. All right. Now, some parts seem to be talking about one person, and other parts seem to be talking about perhaps someone else, and other parts seem to be talking about a whole group of people, or maybe a different group of people, And some parts seem like this isn't even old news. Maybe it's future news. That is, news so new that it has not yet been news did. Or maybe it's about use. Use in the news. Could be. The glory of the Lord is risen on you, perhaps. So what's going on here? Well, Pastor Tim Mackey from the Bible Project talks about prophecy in the Bible as a mountain range. So when you're in the valley, you just see that one mountain, right? It's like you're just reading that one passage, right? You're just reading Isaiah 60. Well, who is this about, right? But if you step back and you look at the whole mountain range, in this case, what would that be? The entire Bible, the entire narrative of the scriptures, you can see how there are a few places where this would apply. Does that make sense? You're looking at a mountain range. And then, in the distance, there's one big old mountain. And that is the one that it's really talking about. That is the one that it's really talking about. But it also applies in these other ways. Take the phrase, the day of the Lord, for example. Raise your hand if you've heard this phrase, if you've read this, the day of the Lord. So what happens on the day of the Lord? This is the day when essentially God deals with evil and saves his people. He deals with the problem of evil and rescues his people. When did this happen? What's the day of the Lord? Well, it happened at the Red Sea during the Exodus. That was the day of the Lord, right? A day, but not the day. Yes? Okay. (laughs) When Yeshua died on the tree and then was resurrected, that was a day of the Lord, right? Because he dealt with evil and rescued his people. And apparently, someday in the book of Revelation, it describes a future kind of exodus and future plagues where God will do what? Deal with evil, get rid of evil, and rescue his people. So that's the day of the Lord. That hasn't happened yet. That's the big mountain in this case. So what does the mountain range look like for Isaiah 60? Let's look at a time when it was pretty accurate. A lot of these things I think were happening. I'm going to take a few of the verses that I read and just read them again. This was a time when a lot of good things were going on in the kingdom of Israel. Tell me who you think about when I say this. The wealth of nations will come to you. All those from Sheba, again, that's Ethiopia, will come. Foreigners will build up your walls and their kings will minister to you. The glory of Lebanon will come to you, cypress, elm, and pine, to beautify the place of my sanctuary. I will give to the place of my feet glory. I will make shalom 
your overseer, and righteousness, your taskmasters. No more will violence be heard in your land, devastation nor destruction within your borders. Who's that? Solomon. Right. Okay, that's the old Jew in the old news. What is Solomon's Hebrew name? Shlomo, which is related to the word shalom. Why? Because there was peace. There was peace during Solomon's reign. He wasn't dealing with all the enemies that his father David was dealing with. He wasn't dealing with the Philistines. They weren't bothering him. There was shalom. There was no violence in the land because he was Shlomo, <laughs> right? He was, he was the king of Shalom. In some ways, Solomon's kingdom was the pinnacle of the calling of Israel. And in other ways, it was not. So let's look at Solomon's kingdom and let's see what the lessons are. But first, I want to mention the Torah portion from two weeks ago, which talks about the responsibility of kings in Deuteronomy 17. Now, this was way before Israel had a king. And God instructs Moses to give them some advice because God is very smart, obviously, and he's telling Moses, you know, the people, they're going to want a king because they're going to want to be like all the other nations. So when they do that, tell them that this is what the king should do. <laughs> this is way before they had a king, but he, he knew. So this was the advice. The Lord instructs the king not to multiply horses, not to return to Egypt, not to multiply wives, and not to multiply silver and gold, not to become very wealthy. Because those things are going to turn his heart away from the Lord, the king, whoever it is. But the one thing the king should do is what? Read and study the Torah. Because even though he's the king... He himself is subject to God, who is the king of kings. And he is subject to God's laws, which is very different from the ancient world, right? If you were a king in the ancient world, <laughs> you do whatever you want. Not so for the king of Israel. It's supposed to be. So now on to Shlomo. Let's see how much of Solomon's story reminds us of the glory and the shining kingdom in Isaiah, the light to the nations, and how much it reminds us of, let's just call it, Blech. Glory, shining, light to the nations, and blech. All right, you want to you wanna play this new game with me? Yes. All right, so glory, shining, light to the nations is going to be what? I want you to try to evaluate. So a thumbs up. Can we practice that? All right, what if it's blech, like he's amassing wealth and stuff like that? Okay, that would be this. And what if it's kind of, you know, neutral? Hey, uh, did I hear an A? <laughs> All right. Okay, here we go. First Kings 3. Then Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, by marriage, taking Pharaoh's daughter, bringing her to the city of David until he finished building his own house, the house of Adonai, and the wall all around Jerusalem. The people, however, were still sacrificing on the high places because there was no house built for the name of Adonai until those days. Now Solomon loved Adonai walking in the statutes of his father, David, except he kept sacrificing and burning incense on the high places. That's just three verses. There's a lot in there, right? The reader is supposed to be like, wait a second, let me discern. I made a handy dandy chart. Let's look at the chart. Alliance with Pharaoh, marrying Pharaoh's daughter. Deuteronomy, if he'd been reading the Torah, 
Deuteronomy 17 wouldn't have told him, don't go back to Egypt. Like, literally, don't do that. <laughs> not because she's bad, not because the Pharaoh is bad, whoever the Pharaoh is at that time, but because you're bringing the influence of those other gods rather than influencing them with the love and the light of God. It says he loved Adonai and walked in the statutes of his father, David. All right. Sacrificing and burning incense on the high places. I would put it here because there's nowhere else to do it. There's nowhere else to do it. So he's sacrificing to the Lord. He's sacrificing to the Lord. What is a high place? I looked this up, actually. A high place is actually a location with a higher elevation. No? Okay. I thought that would... <laughs> but, I, of course, there's more to it than that. <laughs> the high places in the land were usually designated for the worship of idols or other gods. According to gotquestions.org, these shrines often included an altar and a sacred object, such as a stone pillar or a wooden pole in various shapes, identified with the object of worship. Uh, animals, constellations, goddesses, and fertility deities. So Solomon was using these spaces for worshiping the God of heaven and earth, which is, eh, right? It's mixed. Why is it mixed? Because it's good that he's worshiping God, but it's bad because it might cause people to stumble. They're going up there and they're saying, wait, there's all this other stuff here. So that's, that's what it is. I think of it as kind of like doing a good thing in a way or a place that's not kosher. It's kind of like a moral compromise. Let's keep going. So then Solomon has a dream, and he asks the Lord for wisdom. Literally, he asks for a listening heart in order to lead the people. What do we think of that? Yay! Yay. This is immediately followed by a story which he determines which woman is the mother of a baby using an inspired word of wisdom. What do you think? All right. <laughs> Let's look at the chart again and add a few more things. So we've got alliance with Pharaoh, love the Lord, sacrificing on the high places, dream, ask for wisdom. Uh, and then we get into some other stuff. So in chapter four, verse six, it says he did some forced labor to build his house. And why, why is it bad? <laughs> it's slavery. And where does that come from? Egypt. Saying, don't go back to Egypt or that will influence you. Guess what? <laughs> it has. This is the same word in Hebrew, the same word that is used to describe Pharaoh in the Exodus story, the evil Pharaoh. It describes in chapter four, he gets uh, multiple wives. What do we think of that? Right, okay, not just because you have more than one mother-in-law, that's, you know, its own thing, but, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Obvious reasons that that is bad, okay? Judah and Israel were numerous as the sand by the sea in abundance, eating and drinking and rejoicing. Yay. I'd kind of put it here. They're enjoying themselves. That's good. They're re rejoicing. They're flourishing, which is what God wanted, right? He wanted them to flourish like the what? The sand in the sea. Isn't that what he told Abraham? So that's good. But they're, they're not worshiping the Lord. They're just sort of eating and drinking. So I'll put it, I'll put it here. Now Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the river to the land of the Philistines up to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Yay. Why yay? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, but it's also, didn't we read that in Isaiah 60? The kings will come and pay tribute. Your enemies are now in relationship with you. Yes, they're serving him, but they're in a peaceful relationship and they're supporting his ministry, which is to build a temple for the presence of the Lord in Israel. So we would say that is good. The foundation of the house of Adonai was laid. So he was seven years building it, but it took Solomon 13 years to build and complete his own palace. That's the next verse, by the way. (laughs) Boo, why boo? God's God's first. There there you go, right from the mouth of Andrew. That's how you do it. God comes first. If I have $10, $10 bills, how much of that is the tithe that I give to my congregation? $1, right? That's an easy, that's an easy one. Which one? The first one that what? The first one I use, the first one I spend, right? God comes first. In my sphere, I do a lot of things, right? I'm rabbying, I'm fathering, I'm husbanding, I'm meeting with people in the church community, I'm connecting with the Jewish community. There's a lot of things that I do. I'm preparing sermons. The Lord has to come first. My relationship with the Lord has to come first. And after that, I would say my relationship with Sonia comes first and my relationship with my son comes first, right? Those are the priority things. So his priorities are off and his energy, he spent seven years building, that's a long time, right? But then 13 years, almost double, building his house. What's going on in his heart? Probably a lot of things. And then let's look at two more things. The dedication of the temple and a visit from the queen of Sheba, which as I said, was Ethiopia. Now, when the Kohanim, the priests, came out of the holy place, the cloud filled the house of Adonai so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of Adonai filled the house of Adonai. Then Solomon spoke, Adonai has said that he would dwell in the thick cloud. I have surely built you a magnificent house, a place for your dwelling forever. Where is that? That's this. That's Isaiah 60, isn't it? Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory, kavod, of the Lord is upon you. Absolutely, that's this. That's probably the pinnacle of this in Israel's history, right? Because the second temple didn't do that. Moreover, concerning the foreigner, this is now Solomon talking after this, the glory cloud has entered. So he's ministering to the people. Moreover, concerning the foreigner who is not of your people Israel, when he comes from a distant country because of your name, for they will hear of your great name, of your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes to pray toward this house, then may you hear from heaven your dwelling place and do all according to what the foreigner asks of you, so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name, to fear you as your people Israel do, and know that this house that I have built is called by your name. 1 Kings 8. What do we think? Yeah, definitely. The nations, the foreigners will know that the Lord is God. That's beautiful. That's Isaiah 60, right? And here's the final chapter we're looking at today from 1 Kings 10. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard about all the fame of Solomon, because of the name of Adonai, she came to test him with hard questions. So she came to Jerusalem with a very great retinue with camels. Do we remember camels in Isaiah 60? 
carrying spices and gold. Do we remember spices and gold in Isaiah 60? Yes. In great abundance and precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she spoke with him of all that was on her heart. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was hidden from the king that he did not explain to her. So when the queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon, the palace that he had built, the food at his table, the seating of his courtiers, the attendance of his servants and their attire, his cupbearers and his burnt offering, which he offered in the house of the Lord, she was left breathless. Then she said to the king, it was a true report that I heard in my own land of your deeds and of your wisdom, but I did not believe the reports until I came and my own eyes saw it. Indeed, not even half was told to me. You're way past the report of wisdom and prosperity that I had heard. Blessed are your people. Blessed are your courtiers who are standing continually before you, listening to your wisdom. Blessed be Adonai, the God of Israel, your God, who delighted in you to set you on the throne of Israel. It is because of Adonai's everlasting love for Israel that he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, a great quantity of spices and precious stones. Never again did such abundance of spices come as to what the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. So what's going on here? I heard, and I had to come and see, there's, there's peace in your land. You have amazing wisdom. There's prosperity. The people are happy. Why is that? It's because of the Lord. The light of the Lord. The glory of the Lord is on Solomon and on his kingdom. But only partially. Not in fullness. Why is that? Because he's a son of Adam. He's a person. He's like us. So some of the things we do are sharing the light of the Lord. And some of the things we do are blech. Because we're like Solomon. We're people. So what is the point of all of this? Arise and shine, for your light has come. The glory of Adonai has risen upon you. The light has shined on Solomon's kingdom from one angle. Why? So that he can enable Israel to fulfill her calling and be a light to the nations. And that's what was happening with the Queen of Sheba, in part. But also from another angle, he hasn't done that because he's got the same problem Adam had and the same problem we have. We love our own kingdoms and we love our own comforts and we have our own priorities, our own idols that we cling to we cling to instead of the Lord. Here we are in Solomon's kingdom at the apex of Israel's history. There's peace, there's justice in the courts, there's immense prosperity, but it's not complete because Solomon is flawed like all of us. So who is Isaiah 60 really about? Well, it's a mountain range. In a sense, the glory and radiance of the Lord is upon Solomon to bring light and Torah and the radiance of God to the nations like Ethiopia. One could say that Isaiah 60 is about the Jewish people because Isaiah, a little bit earlier, says that you are my servant Israel through whom I will show my glory. And it is a not enough that you are merely my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the offspring of Israel, but I will also make you a light to the nations talking about the Jewish people, so that my salvation, Yeshua, can spread to the ends of the earth. 
Of course, the light is upon Yeshua. And the light is Yeshua. This is the first time that there's that little switch, right? The light was upon Solomon. The light was upon the Jewish people, the old Jews in the old news, and the old Jews now. But here, Yeshua is the light. The glory of the God of Israel is Yeshua, is Jesus of Nazareth. In John 8, 23, Yeshua says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light which gives life. Isaiah 60 is also perhaps about the nations. Just throwing that out there. Paul explains in Romans 11 that the nations will provoke the Jewish people to jealousy by their deliverance and healing and love that they experience in the Lord. That's what happened to me. For brothers, I want you to understand this truth which God formerly concealed. Israel is a light to the nations, but now there's a new thing. Doesn't mean that's not happening anymore, but now there's a new thing. Now revealed, so that you won't imagine you know more than you actually do. It is that stoniness to a degree, say that with me, to a degree, hardness of heart in part has come upon Israel, the Jewish people, until the Gentile world, the nations, enters its fullness. And that it is in this way that all Israel will be saved, rescued. Little side note here. I'm emphasizing the impart and the sum of them because I often hear so much. (laughs) Sometimes I have a very strong reaction that the Jews rejected Yeshua or the Jews rejected Jesus. This makes no sense. We cannot say this. Why? (laughs) Well, imagine there's a family. Let's say they're the Smiths, the Smith family, okay? And you got... The grandparents, and they have a couple of kids, and then they have about 10 grandkids. Okay, you picturing this? So Lloyd goes over to their house, and two of the grandkids out of 10 say, get out of here. You know, they're not respectful to you. I'm sorry. <laughs> and the rest of them say, oh, we're so glad you're here, Lloyd. We heard you, you have a, an encouraging word for us. And then for Lloyd to come and say, well, the Smiths rejected me. Or for me to say, the Smiths rejected Lloyd. Does that make any sense? Some of the Jewish people rejected Yeshua. Yes. But that's true for all of the prophets. Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, these are not popular people. (laughs) They're going to experience some rejection. But he had to have experienced some acceptance or you would never have heard of him. (laughs) because he only went to the Jews. Lloyd only went to the Smith's house. Yeah, there were a few Gentiles, a handful, but we we can't believe that the gospel has gone to the four corners of the earth because Yeshua went to one demon possessed Gentile in the upper Galilee. That doesn't make any sense. I'm sorry, I know I'm probably preaching to the choir here, but So stoniness, hardness of heart, to a degree, in part, has come upon Israel so that the nations will enter in and the nations can be a light, the glory of the Lord on the nations back to Israel. And Paul says that will be like life from the dead. When Israel, (laughs) the part of Israel that is saying no to Yeshua 
finally says yes. That's an important thing. This passage is showing that the nations will be a light to the part of Israel that rejected Yeshua. And by their love for the God of Israel and their love for the Jewish people and their light and love for one another, the Jewish people will recognize Yeshua and they will be provoked to jealousy. So here's the final question that applies to all of us, Jew and Gentile. Is the light, the glory of the Lord, shining in you in such a way to provoke others to jealousy? Are they asking us why we have peace? Why our kingdom is in order? Why we have joy in the midst of difficulty? The answer, like for Solomon, is probably yes and no. It's probably a mixed bag. So let's endeavor to ask the Lord to remove the idols, the things that we are addicted to or place before the Lord. Let's take the rest of Elul, these two weeks, before Rosh Hashanah, to continue to seek the Lord and pray. Our elder Eric had some great wisdom about prayer in a recent sermon. If you missed it, I highly recommend it. It really blessed me personally. And I, in this season, I have personally been trying to expand my prayer life, my devotional life. Some things I've been doing, I've been journaling. I've been reading the Siddur, the Jewish prayer book. Um, I've been uh, listening to worship music, been walking around. I've been praying in uh, my personal prayer language. Some people call that uh, speaking in tongues. I've been reading and thinking about Psalm 27, which is uh, in this month of Elul. But it's not about what I've been doing. What is the Lord asking you to do? What is he leading you to do? Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. You, because you're in Messiah, you are the light for the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Likewise, when people light a lamp, they don't cover it with a bowl and put it but put it on a lampstand so that it shines for everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so that they may see the good things you do and praise your Father in heaven. Avinu, our Father, we thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you that the glory, your glory has risen upon us in this season. And we ask your help to turn toward you, to be a light bearer, to be a lantern, to be a torch that bears witness to your love and to get rid of the things that are about our kingdom and, and our idols and, and those other things that were stumbling blocks for Solomon, that we would learn from him and uh, that we would share your light with Israel and the nations in our city where you've planted us. And in Yeshua's name we pray, amen. Amen.